Hello and welcome to the Tech UK podcast. My name is Tom Russell and I'm a program manager for health and social care at Tech UK. For this month's podcast, we will be looking at the response of health tech into the world of COVID-19. Here we've been working closely with our members, the government and the NHS during this crisis. In this episode, we will be highlighting the work done by the health tech community to help providers and citizens cope with the challenges that we've seen as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. We have a great lineup of stakeholder industry speakers, including Nicola Haywood-Alexander, who's a healthcare CIO. And without further ado, let's hear from Nicola. Hello, um, and thank you for inviting me to this um, podcast. I'm actually here speaking on behalf of an initiative called uh, Tech for CV19. Um, it was founded by CIOs, um, both from the um, health and care organisations, but also from the supplier community. We were looking at how we could establish a community in which we could um, bring together the various um, offers that suppliers were looking to make to help um, health and care organisations um, in their activities, uh, both around the crisis, but also as the crisis moved through its different waves of, of, of context and also into the recovery phase that we will undoubtedly um, be going through both socially and economically um, as, the, um, as our cases plateau off. Um, the community um, was originally... Um, should we say it was a, it was a set of um, uh, WhatsApp groups and uh, threads on on LinkedIn that had um, ended up with you know almost two hundred to three hundred people talking on that particular thread, and we thought it would be really helpful if we could bring them into one one place, um, which is what we did, and then we found that we'd got uh, potentially 750 plus people wanting to be able to interact across this community. And obviously this all had to be done in a virtual way. So we are now developing um, the platform and the capabilities and the website to do that. Um, the community is not just about collaboration. It has a principle of this is the ethical thing to do. The, the agency around the community is non-commercial and it is there to support organisations to be able to offer services um, into the um, organisations that are dealing with the challenges of COVID-19 um, mm -hmm. at anything from a pro bono and free or through to a cost. Or it may be that they've got a really um, effective and useful um, piece of technology to offer that would really help in particular aspects of challenge. Um, but they would, they're a very small corporate organization. They may be an SME that's only a, you know, a half a dozen to a dozen people. Um, so the community has also been looking at how it can provide support by attracting enablers, um, investors, people who are willing to give particular business skills um, to those organizations to help them to be able to scale up and step up to meet the demands. And thirdly, what the community is also doing is it's 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 taking um, responsibility for um, encouraging suppliers and people with offers to come to um, into this environment um, rather than to cold call a lot of our leaders um, in the health and care communities. They have an awful lot on at the moment in terms of actually dealing with the current crisis and, and stepping up their own projects. Um, and capabilities to deal with that crisis. And it's very difficult for them to hand, um, handle cold calls 
be that coming through social media or directly into their inbox. And what we are looking to do is to provide them with an offer window where they can go with the particular um, problems and use cases that they have and use that to match to the offers that are being made. So another part of the, the site is to work with um, that community to really get a good understanding of, of what their current problem statements and use cases are, but also what we anticipate their problem statements and use cases to be. And finally, I'd emphasize that we, we started off probably because of what was happening across the NHS generally and understanding what that landscape was like and how we could um, uh, best support colleagues in, in all aspects um, of um, health tech um, provision both um, as a, a trust, for example, or NHSX, um, but also as a supplier into that environment. But we have also understood um, and we are embracing and looking how we can support the um, social care um, community, the social care sector, which is much more disparate and doesn't necessarily have the structures the NHS have um, that, that they can utilise and that, that can be tapped into. And also the charity and voluntary and community sectors as well and how we can support them and understand their supporting. And just this week, we have got key leaders in those areas coming to us and saying, we want to work with you and be part of this because this would be really useful um, to us being able to identify who can help us with the particular problems that we have got. And it also becomes a way in which we can highlight those problems, not just now, but also again, for how we're going to deal with our social and economic recovery in the longer term. Thank you, Nicola. Um, we're also joined today by Paul Bentley, who's the CEO of technology solutions supplier Exxon, which specialises in healthcare communications. Paul, what can you tell us about Exxon's response to COVID-19? Okay. Um, we specialise quite a lot in supplying communications, cloud telephony into primary care, um, which is an area which has always been somewhat behind in its adoption of technology primary care essentially being 8,000 small organisations who've all been purchasing their own telephony for many years. Um, and we've found that those who have adopted our, our, our cloud solutions, Surgery Connect Cloud Solutions, which is about roughly 10% of the market, have found it a great boon in terms of being able to work in hubs and home working. So, there has been a bit of a rush to try and find alternative solutions for those practices who don't already have uh, cloud telephony installed. Um, and that has produced a variety of solutions, some of them successful and some of them not so successful. Uh, but it's also highlighted a lot of the problems that were there already, uh, which I, I think will, will eventually um, accelerate the adoption of the technology that's already being put in place. So I, I think it's it's pushed things forward at quite a rate. Thank you, Paul. Um, digital care provider Serverlec is another company that has reconfigured and developed a number of solutions uh, in an effort to minimise the impact of COVID-19. And we're lucky enough to be joined today by their Chief Strategy Officer, Gary McCord. Gary, what can you tell those listening about the initiative launched by Serverlec to support those at the front line? Well, we've... we've uh 
is that we've had a number of quite a wide number of initiatives that we've developed you know using working out with our, our own software and with partners uh, I, I've got some slides actually I'll just share with you because it cover three particular uh, items going to the first one really is about the mobilization of professionals we, we're seeing more people and certainly community workers needing to be having access to data at the point of care and being able to uh, use systems in real time in a mobile uh, situation we have seen there's been quite a few articles uh, on the news and, and on websites around this, the sort of increased pressure on community staff because there's a there's a push to drive uh, people once they're uh, they've reached a, a level of uh, wellness back into the community, which increases the demand on community staff to support them and their own uh, their existing caseloads. So um, improving the sort of uh, accessibility and mobilisation of those uh, teams has enabled them to sort of take on that extra uh, throughput. We actually did a. a a project recently with uh, Southern Health, which is we got to see a quote there from the Southern Health uh, CCIO, which was to uh, deploy a full mobile solution to them for our real system in four days, and that uh, that's up to 500 users. So it's a, it's definitely something that we see as a, as, as a demand and have as the need to see more people in the community rises across mental health and community health. We then got this uh, ability to, to give them a rapid, a more rapid mobilisation and, and access to this data. I think following on from that really is around transfer of care. We've got a, a cloud-based interoperability platform called Connexus that allows us to share information with other systems. But, but at the moment, a key focus of that is our assessment, discharge and withdrawal ADW, as it's called, uh, solution for councils, which allows the acute uh, trust to discharge quickly uh, patients into uh, the social care area without without all, uh, lots of tweeting, throwing pieces of paper and emails and things. It's a, it's a fully automated closed loop system. So what we're doing with that, we're offering the ability to deploy that quickly, but also where an acute solution doesn't have uh, isn't able to sort of meet all the uh, rigour around standards. We're looking to be more flexible there and uh, pragmatic in, in getting this in place quite quickly because clearly increasing capacity in, in hospitals is a key area of this and Servite works across health and social care. So we, we have our systems in social care that are receiving uh, these requests. So, yeah, another big area for us. I think finally, on, on the three examples that I'll, I'll sort of cover in this uh, piece, uh, we've uh, developed an employee wellbeing app because for our own staff and again, in across health, social care, education, youth services, the areas that we work and, and, and outside of that, it's very important that we are making sure that the staff are, and people are feeling, you know, that this, this situation is unprecedented. It's, it's, it's having a, a, an impact on everyone mentally. We certainly in our mental health uh, side of our business has, has been an increasing mental mental health Ill, no, illness because people are feeling increased anxiety and stress and depression through this situation. So as much as it's a physical health thing in, 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 the, in the, the impact of it, there's also a mental health impact as well. I think what this wellbeing act does, it allows people to 
indicate you know how they're feeling and then offers them some guidance about you know things that they might want to do to alleviate a low mood also tries to understand why they're moods like that and and lets them in and tell the organization if they're self-isolating so if someone can't work one of the, one of the challenges we found speaking to our clients is that communicating with all their staff and understanding you know which ones are self self-isolating which people are ill which people are actually working remotely this apps allow them to do that and again it supports their duty of care so they were there were three things that we are uh promoting at Servlet, amongst others, around sort of increased access to factual authentication, etc. So uh, that's just the three that I'll cover there. Again, as part of the discussion, I think we might touch on some of the other things that we're doing. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Gary. And uh, for, for anyone who's who's listening to the podcast rather than watching the video on, on YouTube, we will we will be sharing uh, all of these slides uh, and any, any other anything else uh, that, that our presenters um, will will share with you today online. Um, and as, as, I suppose what, what I'd just like to say is that you know it sounds like all, all three of you are kind of really working on on very valuable and worthwhile initiatives. And I suppose just, you know from a tech UK perspective, um, it, the, the tech for ninety uh, tech for CV nineteen initiative is something where we're especially proud to be to be working with. I think there's there's a lot of good work to do there. Um, now, I think as so far as, as we've heard today, there's been a sea change in, in the adoption of the use of digital tools and services across health and care as, as a result of the outbreak. You know, telehealth, for instance, has, has experienced a bit of a surge in interest. And what I'd be interested to know is what are the, some of the main areas where you've seen the biggest area of transformation? And, and Paul, I'd really like to come to you first. And if you can sort of, you know, t tell me, from your own area, but also, I suppose, a bit of kind of you know, future gazing um, over the next few weeks and months. Where do you think the, the, the biggest the biggest scope for transformation is, is going to come from? So the big change that we've immediately seen is a change from inbound patient uh, activity in terms of access, trying to contact their local surgery, queuing up at 8 a.m. on a Monday morning uh, for up to an hour to try and get an appointment with a GP. There is now a much more even approach to uh, certainly uh, primary care uh, access such that uh, patients being contacted back, all the call activity and video, we know a lot of video activity as video consultations are going on as well, is all outbound. Uh, which has actually eased some of the pressures, curiously, um, certainly in primary care, because we can see a much more even approach to patient contact. And I think that will continue into the future as well, is that we no longer have this mad rush on a Monday morning to, to get today's appointment. Instead, we have um, access driven by the clinicians by the GPs who are coming back to patients using digital uh, technology, online, video, telephony, uh, and we'll see those integrate together better in the future and better partnerships growing, I think, so that it's a much more joined up approach and also across the various healthcare sectors. We're also seeing a bit of inroads into acute and uh, pharmacies as well, which we haven't been involved in uh, by being able to deploy quickly. So I think those changes are, are for the long term and they've been stimulated rapidly by the current crisis. And, and so my, my, my kind of follow-up question to you on that, and I'll, I'll come to you, Gary, and, and Nick on this too, is do you think there's, there's an important difference between the technological change or is it a behavioural change? And how are those related? 
and sort of you know which you think is is perhaps more important as well because you know obviously you know it's, it's one thing to have the, the stimulus you know the the, the pandemic is, is a stimulus for this but once kind of people get into a different mindset in, instead of you know my first port of call is i'm going to go present uh, at my primary care physician actually if it's you know, use the digital tools that are available. Um, I was I was actually listening to another podcast yesterday where they were sort of talking about reimbursement and kind of demonstrating economic value. And actually, if if you, if you can show that patients are really keen on this, do, does that make it easier um, to to allow these kind of products and services to be adopted across the whole of the health service? I, I mean, just my point. I think just to follow up what Paul said, I think the accessibility of some of these things that have been introduced. I, uh, I myself have attempted to get a GP appointment in the past and have to go through the 8am lottery to see if you can get one of the emergency slots or you wait for three, three weeks hence. I think if the, the fact that as a consumer of the service, you know, I'm not, not talking from a supplier perspective, but as a consumer, uh, I think that we're all becoming much more comfortable. We work from home now and, you know, everyone's being comfortable with this kind of technology. I know that in the past, people doing sort of video calls, everybody's cameras off and all sorts of things. But now this is becoming like the, norm, the new normal. And the longer this goes on, this will be the new normal. And as a consumer accessing that service, if I can just make an online appointment and then see my GP through, through Teams or uh, some other sort of tool and get the same uh, get the same sort of interaction, obviously you can't do a physical examination through the uh, through teams yet. I don't think Bill Gates is working on that one, <laughs> but uh, I think that it'll be it will be adopted. And certainly, uh, I know that uh, my parents are using things like Skype. You know, the, 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 a word that would have been foreign to them a couple of months ago. So I think even uh, the people at all ages, not just the younger end of societies, are adopting to these tools and you know video conferencing and and things. And I think this will be the way that we. Uh, see a lot more care delivered you know, going forward. I think the, uh, certainly in mental health, we're looking uh, to partner with a, a number of organisations around video conferencing. And I think once we start to see that, that uh, technology being uh, linked closely to, inf to information systems, I think at the moment it's because yes. of the rapidity of the, uh, how it's been deployed. I think what will happen is those things will become enmeshed with the systems uh, such that the data you're collecting those in, through those tools will be sort of coded and, and being able to stored alongside a, an electronic patient record. So it becomes part of your record, you know, the, those things. So I think we will see the, the adoption of these things. We're seeing uh, AI as well, you know, lots of AI. If you, if you, if you don't have the capacity to put a, an, an agent in there that can answer, we, we're deploying a, a, an, a, an AI agent for COVID-19 uh, sort of inquiries. So this is where people are constantly ringing up and asking questions about that. If you can put a virtual assistant there to answer those types of questions, you can free up the other side of the sort of capacity where you really need to, that sort of interaction with a person. So uh, I think these things are here to stay. Yes, I, I would echo that. Forward. And the information systems and the integration of the data is, is, is key to that. Um, I think some of the rush to adopt technology in the current crisis has led to rather a lot of discrete systems off the shelf solutions, which I don't think are necessarily here for the long term because they don't necessarily integrate so well with with the clinical system, with the data. Um, and I think moving forward, that type of integration is is really where we need to be is that 
the data needs to come in from all the access points um, to see what works best for patients. Patients seem to be far more flexible than we would expect them to be under the circumstance. Uh, three weeks ago, there was a complete panic. We had double the number of inbound calls on our systems. Um, and it has changed over very rapidly over that period. And part of that, I think, is a adoption of new ways and a, a sort of responsibility, um, which has sort of echoed across the media, really, is that there is a responsibility uh, in the way that you seek care. Nicola, I think where it would be really interesting to bring you in here is obviously you, you sort of had had the benefit of, of looking over many of the offers. Um, mm. what, what, what are the kind of main areas do you think that are being focused on at the moment? Um, and, and uh, you know, how, how, is that, how is that going to play out? Is, 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 is there any area that you would kind of really like to see more development and more kind of work on that so that you sort of feel has been a bit sort of underrepresented? Um. That's a multifaceted question, so I'll take it one bit at a time, if that's yeah. okay, Tom. I think one thing that you you have mentioned that there's been a, a there's been a significant uptake um, and provision of capabilities in the um, video consultation, um, video facilitating. Um, families being able to stay in touch with their loved ones who are in, in isolation. That, that we've seen a big um, increase in those areas. Um, and, and it's been great to see that not just supporting um, a shift in, in telehealth and how we do that and being able to take the pressure off intensive care as a result, but also the way it's been able to help with, this, with the compassionate stories that we hear about. So there are some technologies where they've been able to provide video-based capabilities and take those into hospitals, into intensive care units, into hospices and care homes where people are isolated from their loved ones. And when we are sadly um, and, and realistically dealing with end of life here, how do we actually help to um, maintain that connectivity, which is so important um, for people's um, uh, well-being at the end of life, but also for those people, those close family members and friends and, and the impact that that has on them um, psychologically and for their well-being and mental health. Um, having to deal with the um, with grief and not being able to have that contact. And that's been a really... Um, important application of, of something that was already there into something that perhaps people hadn't necessarily utilised much before. I'd had some experience of where we had used it with vulnerable inpatients and the impact that I'd had um, for vulnerable inpatients and the support it had given them, but that was quite small scale compared with what we are dealing with now. So it has been able to highlight some really nuggets of capability um, and also we've been able to um, scale up those capabilities and apply them um, in a much wider sense. You talked about the um, the issues with people, um, the culture, you know, where were we culturally um, and how has the culture potentially changed in, in terms of our uptake of, of technology? And I will talk to many CIOs um, across this space who say they feel they have been on this journey and trying to facilitate this for 10 years or more now. Um, I haven't always been in the NHS. I was in um, higher education before. Um, and what I saw happened in higher education was that there was um, a sort of an impediment came along, um, which was actually primarily associated with student fees, which, which shifted the landscape 
and people's expectations. And one thing we particularly happened is that we moved to a much more peer-to-peer -peer relationship between students and academic providers. Um, and that um, was a catalyst for bringing in a lot more technology into the world of academia um, and the provision of, 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 of um, learning and learning environments, but also um, how that also could be utilized to facilitate research and lifelong learning, which are um, other aspects of, of that industry. I think what we've seen here is that perhaps there hasn't really been that impediment to encourage both you know, healthcare practitioners, clinicians, and your citizen um, to adjust to um, receiving and um, providing care in a remote context where that is appropriate. And now we've had that impediment. And when an impediment comes along and hits a culture in the sort of full force that this has done, it does, it does shift our norms. It does allow us to think about what are our norms, where if you haven't got that impediment, you know, we work with what's normal, what we feel comfortable with. So some of the things that we're seeing are as a context of that shift. And I think part of the challenge will be where that is bringing good value and that value will continue longer term into what society and our economy will look like in the longer term. Then how do we sustain that norm? How do we say that is a good and effective and useful way of working. Um, and, and I think that's something we're also needing to think about right now. Um, we talked a little bit about um, um, artificial intelligence and one of the areas that um, I have also seen um, increase in value quite quickly has been those areas that have been able to um, utilize data um, apply analytical techniques, apply um, artificial intelligence to that data to be able to help us understand how to um, work with some very complex logistics um, and, and operations. Um, and there is a, a, a very interesting story to be told about how um, data analytics of data that we already had around um, commodities across the NHS um, and using AI to be able to predict where those needs were going to be and how the army have been using that to try and get PPE into the right places as the um, request for PPE has been significantly increased. Um, and it has been down to those sorts of capabilities. And of course, we've also been applying those capabilities in our ability to understand um, how um, that the virus is behaving and where it's moving to and, and using it in that way to be able to predict um, and um, support our operations. Um, and know sometimes when we are, even with AI, it's, it's not that sophisticated that it can get it right. And we've not often sometimes got some very great minds thinking about different ways um, in which, um, well, Shall we say they have different um, different minds are applying different assumptions and different modeling to that data, and sometimes that comes up with a different answer um, and that's sometimes why you know there have been difficult decisions to make, and there hasn't maybe always seemed to be um, consistent policy and strategy, but it, we have a lot more of that capability than we have had in past decades so it has helped us in that regard. So I think there'll be a lot of lessons to learn from that and how we sustain those capabilities. 
as well. And finally, I think what we're also seeing is um, some real pockets of ideas, particularly amongst communities, particularly amongst charities, voluntary sectors, the social care sector that perhaps, as I said before, um, have sometimes been the Cinderella's of these stories. Um, and we're seeing some really great ideas and we're looking at how we can scale up and apply those ideas. So I, for example, know of a number of SMEs who've been producing some really valuable apps that have been informed by uh, clinical colleagues in mental health space, social workers, people working with very vulnerable um, families, um, people who are um, are really at severe risk from being isolated, maybe through domestic abuse or because they've got long-term conditions that are now starting to deteriorate. And we want to be able to bring those sorts of um, organisations together with organisations such as Gary's to look at how they can work together and, and, and develop those ideas and incorporate those ideas into well-established systems such as the ones that Servalet currently produce. Cool. Thanks, Nicola. Um, so, I mean, coming to you, Paul, Paul and Gary, as, as we sort of move towards the end of this uh, inaugural uh, Health Tech podcast, um, do, do you have any sort of you know closing points or, or, or messages that, that you would like to give to, to people that, that are listening, um, perhaps either about kind of you know how how you think that they should get involved or kind of what they should be working on, or just kind of your your general perspectives? I, I think. I mean, I think it's lot lots of the things that have been. Yeah. You know, the ideas that are, are the, the sort of it, the new things that have been, been introduced and, and obviously we've had conversations about that. I think what we need to make sure is we preserve the good things out of that. And I think that the last point made around where we are, this has allowed people to be to, to reach out to people and certainly vulnerable people in a way. And, and, where, and maybe that's been sort of a byproduct of the COVID-19 thing. Suddenly we realise that actually people can be isolated and people can feel sort of disconnected and that giving them the tools to be connected, you know, irrespective of, of this sort of uh, <clears throat> current crisis, we need to continue with that. I know that we've, uh, we've, we've developed something called the Mood Diary, which is for mental health patients to actually, you know, record their changes in mood and, and then to look for how that you know what occurred at the time that made them feel like that because if they, they they see their clinician you know as a, a consultant every month or whatever every three months they're not going to remember all their changes in mood and what triggered that but if you've got something that allows them to record that quickly and do that so these types of tools should remain you know it shouldn't be that we put together this task force of, of people coming together with great ideas and you know now we get over COVID-19 or we, we just go back to the old ways I think we should retain these things and and uh, promote and support them and, and you know, extend them even and, and make sure that we've reached a new new level of uh, interaction with the citizen. You know, this is a lot of this stuff is with the citizen and that's that's retained, you know, beyond this. So, yeah, I think it's been some very positive things. It's a, a dreadful situation as, as I've obviously delivered some quite ingenious solutions that we should maintain. Mm. 
Paul, closing thoughts? I think I would agree with those comments. Um, I think there are still a lot of challenges, particularly those concerned with scale and the large numbers of capabilities that are offered by lots of SMEs and lots of great ideas from small organizations. How do you tie that into a, a scaled solution, particularly where you've got to draw all the data together using the sort of AI that Nicola's referring to? Um, it's it's a challenge and uh, the policymakers are obviously being overrun with very many solutions um, from hundreds of organizations. How do those decisions get made as to which ones to engage with uh, so as not to in, end up with a, a vast hodgepodge of, of different solutions that don't work together? So I think scale and integration are going to be the big challenges moving forward. Yeah, I mean, and NHSX and NHS Digital, you know, combined, they've had sort of you know, over five, six hundred offers uh, of, of support from various organisations, and and the, the big challenge there is how they triage them all, and kind of what 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 what, what that process looks like, really. Indeed, knocking at the door is is hard work, and we we sympathise with <laughs> we sympathise with those on the other side. Nicola. Um, and I think just uh, picking up that point um, Paul is making about how large and complex um, this is um, and how do we actually link it together. I think one of the things that, that some of us have been talking about before this situation, but actually I think this situation is also highlighting, is the need for the design of our technologies um, and our mm. applications to be data-based. So they need to be data-driven in their design. Generally, up to now, they have been primarily functionally driven in terms of their design because they've been there to replace and automate operations that we want to do or to support um, operations across um, the various services and to support the um, um, at the individual disciplinary level almost. Um, so now if we are going to be able to join these up both geographically but also across services and disciplines, we need to be thinking about the data that we will be utilising in those systems and that the real um, paradigm shift um, and the new value that will come from technology is how we are handling and managing and sharing that data across these services. And that starts with understanding, well, what is the data and how do we code it? So I think this is going to start a lot of more um, intense discussions around coding, the use of data, um, and how do we get beyond not just the um, security and privacy issues of data, but actually what does data mean? How do we present it? How do we access it? How do we interpret it? Sorry, sorry, go on, Gary. I, I mean, one of the big things for our organisation before COVID-19 was around interoperability, and we were sort of looking at that. We no no system supplier. I think it, there's a, there's a, we've all grown up and gone beyond the point where it, there's, there's not there's not a sort of variety of solutions, and we we moved to a place where we developed our our Connects platform, which is all to allow us to connect and share information and bring information in uh, from other systems to make sure that that point around that we do get the best out of the data. If you're going to stratify data across a, a broad selection of sort of uh, sectors. You need to be able to share that information and everybody's got to get into a mindset that 
as well as collecting information, you've got to share that information to be able for it to be useful in that sort of big data context. You know, if you're going to use AI, you need a lot of information for AI to be able to look at and, and make decisions about. And, and you know, I think Paul mentioned earlier, lots of the solutions, we've got to make sure that what we, we haven't now created is a, a patchwork quilt of, of 10,000 really good things, but actually none of them talk to each other. So we, we have to, when we get back to some sort of normality, retain the good ones of that, but also make sure that what they are doing is contributing to that wider data pool that we can then use for all those really good things. I think some of the examples earlier about how we can look at the, the, where the need is, you know, around, around PPE, I think was the example, but there's, there's mm -hmm. obviously various things where uh, lots of health and social care challenges, that if you had that information, that information was there and was being shared, uh, we could get to those, those the answers quicker. So that, that's the sort of key point for me there on that one. And, and I think, um, you know, on, on sort of the point of sort of data and standards, I mean, uh, TIK engages with a range of stakeholders. One of them is, is the uh, Public Record Standards Body, uh, PRSB. Um, we, we were, I was on a, on a call uh, a few, about a week ago, talking about Snow Mesh CT codes and how they've been updated uh, to respond to, to, to COVID-19. And, you know, one of the challenges they have there, for example, is that Snow Mesh CT is not really used in Scotland. So, you know, what does that mean if you're kind of integrating service and trying to compare data sets across, across yeah. even, even, even the four nations? Um, so I think you know the some of the the, the recurring uh, recurring themes of, of interop as a challenge. You know it becomes that much more acute and that much more clear why it's a problem during these sorts of times. Um, and, and I think hopefully that will sort of spur people on uh, to to collaborate and, and and get things right in the future. So Nicola, Paul, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you'd like to find out more about Tech UK's work on COVID-19, please do visit our website at techuk.org, where you can find out all the latest resources, case studies and information on how to get involved. Keep your eyes peeled for the latest podcast from key industry players coming out soon. And thank you so much for listening.